But we're talking about how to make Christian decisions in very dark times. You see, I don't believe theology is of much use unless it's of use. Unless there's something you can do with it when you wake up in the morning, when you rise, give me Jesus. All right, what does that look like? When Keith tells us that every day we should be giving, what does that look like? We have a lot of decisions to make during the day. What, how do we make them? Especially when the Bible is too short. Bear with me a minute. The Bible is too short. Now, I know there are a whole vast swaths of it that you've read before that you're thinking, oh, that could be condensed. You know, uh, most of the Old Testament, they had a very hard time, didn't do well, God sent Jesus. That could have been uh, brought down a bit. But here's where the Bible's too short. Who should I date? Who should I marry? What job should I take? Uh, what songs should we have for Sunday morning? Uh, when, when God said not to, to be a glutton, did he mean that I couldn't do the buffet every so often? You know, Paul buffeted his body daily, uh, according, no wait, that's a different word, different word. But how, how, do I, how do I make the decisions as I go through life? That person has just attacked me, how do I respond? All of these things, we've got to find a way to make them. And we looked at several things last week, and I brought up as we were closing, would Christ be comfortable with this? Will doing what I'm about to do advance his cause or hurt it? Here's a phrase I want you to remember for today. Who is in charge of this moment? Who's in charge of this moment? The Bible says that we have a great cloud of witnesses, and that was actually a sporting term. Paul seems to have been quite the sports fan because a lot of the words he used had sporting connotations. This was one of them. The cloud of witnesses was the big stadium full of folk that were watching, and it was up to them to determine if you had done well and deserved the crown at the end. And he said, we have a crown of witnesses, and he's referring to the heavenly witness. So there's another way to phrase this. Not only who's in charge of this moment, but who is cheering for me right now? Am I making the angels cheer, or am I giving the devil a good day? Who is cheering at this decision? Will this violate his call for me? Whatever I'm thinking about doing, to, that call is to be very different. I've asked for this to be put up in the message uh, version this time, Matthew chapter 5. Let me tell you why you're, why you're here. You're to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a lampstand. Now, now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a lampstand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I once sat in on a discussion where, uh, with a man that had been born blind, and there were several of us talking about it. We were doing brain mapping type stuff. And one of the other men asked the question. He said, when we say the word red, what does that mean to you? You've never seen red. And the man said, well, I do have a concept in my head. He says, what? and the blind man said, what do you see when you see red? We looked at each other. 
We had nothing for that. We, we see red. Uh, that's what we see. Um, and that's not helpful. Think of it this way. If a person has never tasted salt, all of their food has been bland. How do you describe salt to them? I know some of you are on salt-free diets because your family hates you. <laughs> I, I, we're praying for you. We really are. Um, what you could do is sneak the salt, go see Jesus, and tell him we'll be right up. But the <laughs> salt is not nearly as dangerous for you as people have said over the years, and for science has finally caught up with that. But again, how do you describe salt to somebody who's never had it? You can't. You have to demonstrate it. And God said, exactly. You can't tell people about Jesus until you demonstrate him. And they'll never understand what you mean until they see an illustration acted out in front of them. They see you. Then they can get to understand what a Jesus is. But you've got to be different. You can't shine if you're like everybody else. You're going to have to be different. Now, this is where, I'm, and I'm going to address some of my comments over here for several reasons. One is that I love the young, um, but another is because my heart hurts for what some of you, what you're going through and what you will go through. We've, a lot of us have gone through it, and we, we understand that while the electronics are different and the culture is different, the trials are the same. And so, looking over here, there is an, uh, there's something in teens where you're going to have to, it's a job. You've got a job at this stage in your life. And psychologists like to call it ego identity versus ego diffusion. And all that means is you're either going to find your own identity or have one assigned to you by the crowd. You either get to choose who you are or the world will choose for you. God says, don't be like the crowd. C.S. Lewis put it another way. He said, the devil wants cattle. God wants children. And children are individuals. They're unique. The devil wants you all to be cows. He wants you all to do the same thing. Listen to the same music. Wear the same kind of clothes. Get, you stay with the group. And they'll even assign you to your group. No. We don't play that game. We're going to make decisions sometimes that are going to make us stand out in ways that are going to be uncomfortable. And that, that uncomfortable feeling, by the way, if you're wondering, never goes away. A 65-year-old standing up for Jesus doesn't feel any more comfortable than a 16-year-old does. They've just had it happen. They just know what's coming next. This next place is, is where we really need to get. So let's hit this. What kind of environment is it? Sometimes we'll want to go somewhere. We'll want to go and do something. It might be, let's say, a party. It might be a movie. It might be a concert. It could be a family reunion. But I want to ask you before you go in, and, and again, you, you know, we were borderline paranoid, but we stayed alive, and we lived in some very difficult, dark places. One of the rules that I told my kids is you never go in a room unless you know how you're getting out. You never go anywhere unless you understand your exit plan because the world can go dark very quickly and it can be a surprise. When you go into an area, what is it conducive for? For example, you can go into some 
uh, restaurants that are really fine restaurants. And they've got a bar there, but they're still fine restaurants. You can go into other places where it has the same kind of food and drink, but it's not a good atmosphere. You need to know, what's your atmosphere? What am I going into? And will this make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? And that applies to even concerts, I hate to say. Will this make me look more like Jesus or less like him? Who will control the atmosphere? Can I control myself? And that's where we're headed. Can I hear the word no? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He goes, no, he starts with that. I strike a blow to my body. That's the one I misquoted a while ago. The King James says, I buffet my body daily. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I have, after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You got the prize when the cloud of witnesses awarded it to you. And back in those days, finishing first in a sporting endeavor did not mean you got the prize. It was, did you please the crowd? And he's saying, I want to please heaven so much that I have to learn the word no and to say the word no to myself. And that's where something very interesting comes into play that we don't talk about much, and that's the word fasting. Fasting is telling yourself no. It is looking at something which God made for you, for some food, that's perfectly good food, and that is designed for you and you for it, and it would do you good, but instead you have decided to give that time over to God. So you say no to something you're allowed to have. The power of that. We did studies back in the day, back in the 80s, with um, stopping smoking programs. And if you're not aware of that, they, they have a very poor record. They really do. Hypnosis is, is pretty much useless. Um, most of the pills, most of the patches, pretty much useless. The only thing that really works is community and peer pressure. And so you get into a community, you know, put your patch on, go ahead and take your pill, even though it does say it can have suicidal tendencies. And I like it, it says, and stopping it can cause those to increase. All right. Um, anyway. Side effects are just, you know, like the one for depression, that the side effect is death. That's just ridiculous, friends. You know, that's not a side effect. That's a big, big, this, you should put a, that on the box. This will kill you, but you'll be all right with it. You know, you'll feel pretty happy at the time. The, we found that the most effective way to stop smoking was brutal, but it was fasting. It was brutal because everything in the body that's been stored up comes out. But at the end of it, you have learned how to say the word no. And we don't, we don't know that word to the point where we get that word, we get offended. You know, who are you to tell me no? Somebody comes up and goes, this is my living arrangement. You must approve of it. And we say, no, no, I don't. I love you. I'll serve you. I, I accept you, but I don't approve. And they get furious they can't hear the word no. You, you can't make this up. It was on the news this last couple of weeks. There are a couple of colleges that have to, to set up safe rooms for people when they hear words that upset them, 
They can come to these safe rooms that have plush toys and little loop of video of playing puppies and counselors to help them deal because they heard a word that upset them that was too masculine or it was too politically incorrect or something. And I'm going, how did these, how did they survive? And I know how they survived. They had parents that didn't say no. They had teachers that didn't say no. And when they played games, they always won. And they were always fantastic. No. You know, I play games against my grandsons. You know, they beat me at basketball, but they're horrible at Scrabble. I clean their clock. <laughs> Sometimes they'll say, Granda, is that a word? And I'll say, don't question your elders. <laughs> they don't always have to win. You don't always have to hear the word yes. God says growing up means you have to learn to say the word no. Let me, let me ask you if any of you recognize this scripture. And Jesus said unto his disciples, go into all the world, teaching all men to live any way they want, and urging each to find his or her own path to God. Let not any one of you make anyone feel inferior or victimized because of their beliefs. Above all, be tolerant. Verily, verily, I say unto you that what you believe and how you live do not matter so long as you're sincere. <laughs> Some of you are turning in your Bibles. You really need to come to church more. <laughs> how about this one? Leaving that place, Jesus led his disciples to Jerusalem where they broke bread at Club Upper Room. That's last-minute edit there. Um, there he addressed them again saying, I am one of the ways, one of the truths, and just one possible life. If you're basically a good person, you're okay in my book. And if you choose to come to the father or mother through me, that's cool. Now go forth to live according to whatever feels good to you and there was much rejoicing. Well, there would be, but that's not what he said. Why does Jesus offend people so much? You can go up to somebody and they'll say, you know, you, you know what, tell us about yourself. You can say, I'm an atheist. They'll say, how interesting. I'm an agnostic. Oh, that's, you know, I'm a Buddhist. Woo, I'm a Hindu. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Ugh. What is it about Jesus that's so offensive? Is that he tells you the truth. And we don't like the truth. We want mirrors that lie. We really do. You know, men, ladies, I'm, I'm with you on this one. Men are hilarious because every man thinks he's only six sit-ups away from a date with a supermodel. He, he has no body picture that has no truth to it at all. And God plays with him. He does. You know, through his life, he takes off the extra weight and puts it right up front so he has a wee shelf. And then he takes the hair off the top of his head and sticks it in his ears and nose, you know. <laughs> but God is kind because he also takes away the eyesight and a man will look in a mirror and go, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mirrors lie. We lie. Jesus tells the truth. That offends us. That bothers us. How about this one? And Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you either. I know that you cannot repress or deny your sexuality. I do not ask you to change your life or to deny yourself any of its pleasures. Just the fact that you want to have sex outside of marriage proves it's really God's fault for making you that way. As long as you continue to feel bad about it, there's no requirement that you, keep, you stop sinning. 
He doesn't do that. He tells us the truth. Why is it that videos released of people laughing and talking and having expensive salads while discussing dismembering living babies, some of them born with beating hearts, and they're excited about it because that means that the brain will be fresher when they dig it out, has not caused marches in the streets? How is that possible? It is possible because we have people who will yell, oh, those were edited. Did you watch them? Well, no, those were edited. Did you watch them? Well, no, they're, you didn't look to see if they were edited. By the way, they were edited. They edited out the bathroom breaks. But the full things are available online and have been for months. But you've got political people running around saying, don't look, don't look, don't look. Jesus says, look, deal with the truth. And that offends people. That's a problem with a lot of Christianity. We don't understand grace because we've not accepted the truth of our sins. We're terrified to offend others when the cross is the single most offensive symbol in the history of mankind. And Jesus tells us to speak of the cross. We want a religion that doesn't require us to deny ourselves. We want a religion that doesn't tell us the word no. We want a fluffy bunny God. We really do. We want a God that just tells us whatever we want to hear, whenever we want to hear it, and it thinks exactly like us. But here's the thing. Welcome to reality. You don't get the God you want. You get the God who is. Several of you have gone to see the movie The Martian. And yes, there's some language in it, but you know something? You're trapped on Mars thinking you're going to die. You probably won't say, oh, golly. Um, and a bit of a pickle now, aren't we? Um, so don't panic. And one of the things that I, I read the book some time ago and, and went to see the movie yesterday and, and enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of the science was taken out. They had to do that, of course. But I kept thinking, if people would just pay attention in school, they would know these things. But we don't, and we don't have to, because if we get failed, mom and dad will sue the school. God says, don't do that. You deal in truth. You deal in reality. This is what is. Deal with it. Remember what Paul said? He said, if a man won't work, don't let him eat. Why? Reality. Show them reality. Thank God that he loved us too much to be tolerant of us. He sat us down and he said, here are the rules. And courts can decide to that we have to remove the rules from public display. And frankly, I'm fine with that. Because if they're on public display, it's too easy for us to think, well, they're out there. That means we're good. They're supposed to be in here. The rules are supposed to be on our hearts. They're not in charge. The government's not in charge of telling you truth. God is. So he says, here are the rules. His disciples and his prophets spent their lives teaching us what was right and what was wrong, and that right was right and wrong is wrong no matter what anybody says about it. Think of their names. Elijah, Jeremiah, Hezekiah. Not Hezekiah, sorry. Uh, Hosea. Um, Jeremiah, we did him. Ezekiel. Think of them. What about Paul and Peter? How did telling the truth work out for them? 
you know, I, my, my father taught me how to stand alone, and that was the best gift he ever gave me. I can remember one time, uh, it's a long backstory. I'm trying to figure out how to filter it down. Basically, uh, a rumor had gotten started that I was going to preach a really fierce, mean pr- uh, sermon this next Sunday at the church and basically just fellowship everybody. I have no idea to this day where it came from. I was just a young man. I'd just come back and uh, uh, you know, was trying my best to be a Christian. And I called my dad and I said, um, what's going on here? I don't know how to, how to do this. And he said, Patrick, how long did uh, Jesus preach before they killed him? I said, three and a half years. I said, he said, how long have you been preaching? I said, just a few months. He said, you're on schedule and hung up. <laughs> I didn't quite have the fluffy bunny daddy either. You know, um, the uh, point is the truth may not work well for you when it comes to comfort, but if they knock you down, stand up. If they knock you down again, stand up again. Keep standing up. Don't strike back. Don't hate in return. Don't throw sarcasm back. Don't be evil. But stand up. But what if they kill you? You're going to die anyway. So you missed the nursing home. The food wasn't that good. Stand up. Learn to tell the, word, the world no. Or you won't shine because you're going to look just like the rest of the world. It's time, brothers and sisters, to be intolerant. It's time to tell the truth. I know how hard that is. I do. I get shot for it too. Poor, I I think of many of you know Mike Cope. Mike Cope is a lovely man, a lovely man of God. And he saw an article that was written that was very harsh about several churches, including ours. And he wrote back, and he said, this has nothing to do with the issue. This is just, we need to remember to be Christian when we disagree. And it was a lovely, sweet thing. Editor of one of the biggest papers in our tribe referred to it as a vacuous rant. I went, sorry? But I know Mike. He'll stand up again. You do what is right, you will get shot. Jesus said, follow me. Where'd he go? To heaven through the cross. Why did we expect anything different? The world wants you to be tolerant of them, but they don't want to be tolerant of you. So that's why we've got to ask who's in charge of this moment. A lot of our decisions, especially for the young, are going to be around things like music and Uh, fashion, and life decisions. So just again, are you looking for the limit or are you looking how close you can get to God or how far you can get away from him and still be okay? That's the kicker. How how close are you trying to get to Jesus? Look at, uh, we're back to the notes, guys. (laughs) Thanks. You're right on top of it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. How much do you want the Lord to bless you? Think about Elisha and the widow who was uh, about to starve to death. You remember that story? He comes to her. Widows often uh, fed 
passing profits and the like. That's how they made their money. So he says, make me a meal. And she goes, I only have enough oil and, and, and meal, uh, flour, ground up corn, to, to make one meal for my son and I, and then we're going to lay down and die. We have nothing. He said, borrow pots from your neighbors. Now, borrowing a pot was quite an act of trust in those days because you couldn't just go get another one. Did you notice in the Luke thing it said he will pour it in your lap? Because you, when people measured stuff that you bought, you'd lift up your, your, uh, your robe, your covering, and they'd pour it there because people didn't have pots. So she borrowed pots. The prophet prayed. Everyone she borrowed was filled with oil, but not a single one of the ones she didn't borrow were. That part's not in the Bible, but let me tell you, that's the way that works. The ones she borrowed were full of oil. She had enough to sell and go into business. But she only got the ones filled that she had the faith to get. You understand what I mean? God will bless you according to how close you want to get to him. How much you're willing to put into it. Who influenced your choice? I, you'd be shocked. I worked at a radio station. Radio is something we used to listen to before MP3s. I used to work at a radio station. Um, I was not, I was, um, I, I spun some records. and Records were um, flat petroleum products with grooves in them and had a hole in the middle. Um, I did some of that, but my main job, and this will shock a lot of you, was to, to, to be the, the humor um, bit. And so I, I worked with that, but it, it was amazing. This is back in the 70s. Crates of records would come in, and you'd pull them out, and it would be stamped on them which ones were to be played and which ones were not to be played. And I thought, well, why are they pressing records if you're not going to play them? Well, it's because you had a contract with a singer that you would press a certain number of records, but they don't have enough faith in you, so they're saying, we pressed them, don't, don't play them. In other words, a bunch of old white guys sitting in a room somewhere in New York or London or somewhere decided what kind of music you're going to buy. And a lot of kids were thinking, we're doing this to rebel. No, uh, you're making people rich that made that decision. You make your own decision. Same thing with fashion. Make your own decision. I, uh, and by the way, be creative. <laughs> One time, I'll tell you this. Um, Cammie was away. It's very important you understand that. She was away. And, and so it was just me and Duncan. And Duncan, 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 Dunnachach in the Gaelic, uh, was only just a wee boy like this. But I had to do my hospital rounds. And I didn't have, and I said, you want to go to the hospital with me? And he goes, aye. And I said, all right, get dressed. And you see, now there's where I made my error. Because mothers know to lay out clothes properly and walk them through the process. I get dressed. So he came down. Uh, he was wearing big blue basketball shorts with an orange shirt, a red bathrobe, <laughs> boots. And uh, had a, a Bengals football helmet on, and he had a basketball. I looked at him. I said, you ready? He goes, yes. I said, let's go. 
He's unique. He gets to dress the way he wants to. Now that's immodest, you know, and, and besides, I was doing psych rounds and It was, it was brilliant because Duncan didn't talk much. And so he'd just be standing there. And it was interesting because I could watch people wonder if he was really there. <laughs> it was so much fun. He and I just rode up and down elevators for, for a long time and pe watching people try not to look at him. <laughs> be yourself. Express yourself. As long as it's modestly and as long as you're shining for Jesus, don't let the world tell you what to do. Learn to say no to the world. And then ask yourself, and I'll wrap this up fairly quickly, am I disguising my Christianity? Am I trying to hide who I am? It's fascinating, isn't it? Two Christians meet each other in school. It's kind of like two spies. You know, one opens up a, a locker, and maybe there's a little Bible in there, a little cross thing, or a little thing, and the other one notices it and goes, uh, uh, you Christian? The guy, well, little, kind, sometimes, yeah. The guy goes, me too. It's like two spies meeting in East Berlin. <laughs> Once you walk out there and be different. I used, to, I used to do this at youth rallies a lot, and I would take about 15 minutes to do it. I'm going to do it here in less than a minute. I would talk about how I fell in love with Cammie because she looked like just everybody else and she dressed like everybody else and she talked like everybody else and she liked what everybody else liked. And it, even the dumbest one in the room after a while began to realize this is a put on. Nobody falls in love with the gray amorphous blob out there. Don't be afraid to be different, but be different because that's how God made you and you're shining for God. Not different for different sake. You know, you can roll around in a tackle box and have all kinds of <laughs> piercings. Uh, and, that, and, 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 you know, that's fine. You're never going to get through an airport, but that's fine. <laughs> but that's just being different. I'm talking about being different for God's sake. And then you do need to ask yourself from time to time, what are you programming into your mind? What is in the mind becomes an attitude which then becomes an action. Is that really where you want to go? Watch what you're putting in your mind. Choose what you watch. Choose what you listen to. Be careful. And when you have to choose your friends, who are you going to choose first? We sang a song here written by the, the Hatcher's daughter about choosing Jesus. Very simple song, very powerful. We choose him. That's who we've chosen. And as I brought up last week, as I began this two-week series, we, when we baptize people in Scotland, we, we baptize them in the Irish Sea. That's cold. It never gets uncold, ever. Uh, I, we don't have penguins in the Northern Hemisphere. But if you did, they'd put their flipper and go, whoa, no, that's, that's cold. Uh, and that was the only baptistry we had. Every time we would baptize, we would sing on the shore first, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And one of the reasons we did this, and, and yes, we could have gone and found a place probably and heated up some water. We did it this way because being baptized in Scotland, you are going to be an incredible minority because the media, 
the world, the nation would be lined up against you. It's headed that way here. So what are you going to do? You're going to learn how to say the word no to the world and say, I choose Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'll follow him. Who is in charge of this moment? Who are you making cheer? Mark, would you bring your team back up? Would the rest of us please stand? After this song, we'll be dismissed. I want you to this week, don't let these words fall fallow. Here's a job. Find something and fast from it. It might be a favorite food. You know, don't, don't cheat. Don't, don't fast from, let's say, watermelon when you don't really like it anyway. Don't fast from orange soda. Fast unless that's your passion. Fast from something this week. And in those moments, give it to Jesus. Find yourself through the day asking the question, who is in charge of this moment? Who is in charge of me right now? Who am I making cheer? And as for us, let us remember Peter and John before the high court of the land who just charged them, speak no more in his name. And they said, whether or not we should speak in his name, that's a decision you're allowed to make. But for us, we cannot but speak of him. Amen, church. Choose Jesus.